We are, uh, we're going to be continuing where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 6. So I would encourage you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 6, and we will read this passage together starting in verse 19. Uh, but uh, while you're turning there, uh, I want to, I don't know how many of you all have seen the movie The Matrix, but I'm going to refer to it a little bit this morning because, you know, I, as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help but to think of the this, this scene in this movie. Now, just for those of you who haven't seen this movie, um, basically, I don't want to spoil it too much for you. You know, you may or may not see it at this point. But, uh, okay, it's been out for 20 years, so I'm not going to spoil it. I mean, you should have, you could have seen it by now. So, uh, but, but I, uh, I remember, uh, you know, seeing this movie and, and just being, like, incredibly impressed by it. Just the visuals, the storytelling, everything. Um, but in this movie, basically, come to find out that uh, machines have taken over the world and have hooked people up to this uh, system to basically feed off of them. It's great. And, um, and, and everyone's stuck inside a computer program, but they think it's real life. And, um, and, and one of the characters gets rescued out of that, and then he's having to relearn what it looks like to live in the world, seeing it as it really is. But when they're able to patch back into the computer program, program and go back in, now that they know they're in a program, they're able to manipulate it. And I remember the first... Uh, the first scene where he is back in the program and he kind of, the main character, Neo, Keanu Reeves, you know, great actor. I don't know why he didn't win, win an Emmy for that or whatever. But anyway, uh, he, he uh, in this scene, he, where the, the enemy um, agents are shooting at him and it's like the whole world just slows down and he just moves out of the way of the bullets. And I remember thinking, that's so cool, you know. Um, but, but it was like, what's the difference between him and anybody else is he understood that the game that everyone else was playing, he didn't have to play that anymore. He was outside of it. Right? Everyone else was in this program. They didn't know it. They were in this program. They were, they were living life as if it was just normal life. And uh, they had no idea they were in a program. And they were, they were basically enslaved to this alien robotic race thing. Really, really odd movie. But also a great movie. If you know me, you know I like science fiction. So, um, but... But I was just thinking about this, and, and, and I was thinking, you know, well, let's just read the passage first, and I'll tell you why this thought came to my mind. Starting in verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So this is an important word. Um, and, and I think we as Americans, this is probably one of our primary things that we wrestle with. The reason why the, the, the Matrix, and specific, specifically that scene where Neo is dodging bullets because the whole world slowed down around him because he, he learned how to manipulate that environment, understanding he was outside of it for the first time. The reason why that came to my, to my mind is because I realized that we as believers in Christ, because of the grace that we have in Him, have been given the power to see this world as it truly is, for what it truly is. 
we have been given the power in Christ to see from a higher plane, if you will, to see the greater picture in Christ. That this life that we have now is not all that there is. That there is a future and a hope. That there is an eternity, right? And, and so because of that, kind of like Neo, we're able to see. We're able to see that the things that people obsess over in this life aren't nearly as valuable as most people think they are. See, most people think, I've got this 80 or 100 years, and that's it. So i got to live fast and die hard. Isn't that what James Dean used to say? <laughs> I don't know, something like that. Maybe that was, was that from the Die Hard movie? I don't know. But, um, but that was, you know, that was a concept back in the, I know a lot of people back in, um, uh, in, in the, the hippie movement where they were thinking, man, we just got to experience as much as we can. If we die, we die. You know, that, that's why all the drugs and, 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 the, and the sexual immorality and all those things, uh, there was this mentality. We've just got to experience life to its fullest. And, and, and to them, that was experiencing all these things. And so, um, you know, experiences, material wealth, whatever they might be that we focus on. Because most people are trapped in that matrix, if you will, the matrix of life, not understanding that there's something greater. Pastor Richard and I were talking about this uh, on Friday when we met, uh, and, uh, and, and as we were talking, you know, Richard asked this question, uh, what really made, sort of made a statement. I, I kind of, I guess, rephrased it in my own way when I wrote it down. But uh, what I wrote down was, we waste what God has given us by not using His gifts to build His kingdom. Everything we have is from God, right? Everything we have is from Him. In fact, when we, when we tithe to the church, we're not giving out of something that, is, that we somehow built up for ourselves. We're actually giving out of what God has blessed us with, His gifts to us. When we, when we buy a house, we're, yeah, we own that house, but really, we're just stewards, we're just temporary stewards of it for, for a while. It belongs to, to the Lord. In fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The world and those who dwell in it. It all belongs to him. He's the king. He's the one who spoke it into existence. He's the one who keeps our hearts beating with his will. You ever think about that? If God were to will the entire universe out of existence, it'd be gone like that. He spoke it into existence. He could speak it out. And yet he chooses. That makes the cross even more amazing, doesn't it? Because if God could have just said, you know what, I'm done with you guys. And instead he crushed his son in order to redeem us. It's incredible. So today I'm going to look at three things that we see here. Three things that Jesus frees us from when he frees us from slavery to our things. The first thing is that Jesus frees us from slavery to things so that our hearts can go after God. That's that first part. I just want to, I know we just read it, but I want to read it again just so it's fresh in our minds. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves 
uh, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's think about our gospel identity for a minute. What's our identity? Who are you in Christ? That's, now, for those, maybe that might be a new term for some, gospel identity. But, but I want to talk about that. The gospel identity is who you are in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So the identity focus I, I see here is that God made you to be immersed in Christ rather than immersed in the world. God made you to be full of his Holy Spirit. He made you to live that way. In fact, when we put Adam and Eve in the garden, that's how he designed them to be from the very beginning, full of the Holy Spirit, full of life, eyes focused on him. And Jesus makes it clear that anything with any value in this world is subject to corruption. So the biggest mistake that could have ever happened is for people to take our eyes off of the Father and put it onto that which is corruptible. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they turned towards the fruit for their ultimate satisfaction rather than towards the eternal Father. If that which is corruptible is our treasure, then our hearts too will be corruptible. We're looking to that which is corruptible to sustain us, to fulfill us. We will follow the path of the corruptible thing. But Jesus also makes it clear that heavenly treasure is incorruptible. So if our treasure is incorruptible, then neither shall we be corrupted with it because we're not going to go down the, the path of corruption with it. So we store up treasure in heaven. And I want to be clear about this. We store up treasure in heaven not by rejecting the good gifts God has given us. Now some people have a poverty mentality, and I think that's just as wrong as being obsessed with wealth, right? Some people have this mentality of, well, you know, in order to honor Jesus, we've all just got to, you know, get rid of everything and, and, and live in a van down by a river, you know? Um, and actually, you know, I'm going to be honest, like, a van down by a river doesn't sound that bad to me sometimes, especially in the culture that we live in. I'm like, it's quiet over there. I don't have to deal with people. But, um, you know, and some of those vans are real nice. You know, Chick's got a nice van. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> I like that thing. Like, but some, I could live in your van. Chick, I could li legit live in your van, man. It's nice. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, um, you know, like, there's, there's, a, there's a mentality that almost curses material things in our hearts. And that, it can, it can go too far. Because God has given us good gifts. Now, there are some people who the idolatry of, of, of things is so deeply Im embedded into their heart that the only way they can repent is to get rid of everything they have. We see that with the rich young ruler, right? Why did Jesus ask him to sell everything he had, but he, doesn't, he didn't necessarily ask the same of like Nicodemus, for example, he just said, Nicodemus, he's, you know, he called him to repent and follow him, right? And others, there are many others. That Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man, and he remained wealthy. So why did he ask the rich young ruler to sell everything? I think it's because the idolatry was so deep, it was the only way for him to repent was to get rid of everything. So we, we, we do have to think about where we are in relation to material possessions. There are some people who maybe part of your repentance of the, the dependence upon material things is actually to get rid of something, to sell something that is precious to you in an act of repentance. But that's not always true. It really depends upon the state of our hearts. 
But we don't want to reject the good gifts that God's given us. But instead, we want to be intentional about how we use the good gifts God has given us, right? There is a person who has good gifts from God and uses it all on self and on opulence. And then there's a person who receives good gifts from the Lord and says, Lord, these are yours. I want to bless you with them. And they're very generous with the things God has given them. A great example of that is Barnabas in the Bible. Barnabas was a relatively wealthy man. You see in Acts that he sold a bunch of land and he gave all the proceeds to the church. He was a generous man. He wanted to see the work of God move forward. So wealth in and of itself is not sinful. It's, it's whether wealth is the thing that we're after or whether God is the thing that we're after. It's how we use our wealth. Do we use it for self or do we use it to build God's kingdom? One key is to be sure that we aren't making our lives about God's gifts, but about God with a heart of gratitude for his gifts. I'm very thankful that I have a home to live in. <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful that I have cars to drive. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I, I have employment. That I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the things that I have. And we should all be thankful for those things. But we can't allow our lives, if we, if we want to honor God, we can't allow our lives to become about those gifts that God has given us. And that applies to our spiritual gifts as well. I think we need to understand that there, there are some people in the church who've made their life about that next experience rather than about the Lord. And that's a problem. We want to be about the Lord. And if the experience has come, that's awesome. Experience should come in the Christian life. I believe that. But first and foremost, it should be about Him. We want to be about His glory like we talked about the last couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, Richard asked the question, what are some ways that we store up treasure in heaven? And it was a good question, and so I, I wrote a few things down. And these are just a few ideas. There, there are a lot more. These are just a few things. But I wanted to give some practical thoughts. So, some ways that we store up treasure in heaven. We do it by tithing and by giving to the poor. So, in other words, giving to the church and the ministry of Jesus through the church and, and, and giving to the poor and taking care of people who are less fortunate. By doing these, we refuse to make life about the accumulation of money. Another one, dedicating time to prayer, scripture reading, and other spiritual disciplines. And, and, and I would encourage everyone to have a regular daily rhythm of prayer and of Bible reading and, and, and other spiritual disciplines like we've talked about fasting. Um, and there are, there are many other spiritual disciplines. If you want to read more about that, I have a couple books I could, I could point you towards. But by doing these things, we refuse to make our time all about ourselves. Now, that's a big deal in our culture today. We like to have some me time. I'm not saying we shouldn't have some me time. Me time isn't a bad thing. But it shouldn't all be me time, right? Like, we want to make space to have our minds set on the Lord. And that is something we have to do intentionally. I regularly find myself going throughout a day, and I just my mind is wondering, and it's not wondering on the Lord. And so the, the Lord will, the Lord in his kindness will, it's almost like he's 
taps me on my spirit man's shoulder. You know, I, I, it's just like, hey, you haven't thought about me in a while, and your attitude's getting worse, because <laughs> that's what happens to me. With the, if I'm not, if I'm not focused on the Lord, I, I begin to degrade. I just do, and even just a little amount of time apart from the Lord is really bad for me. And so I will, like, like you know, this morning, uh, I, I wanted to, I was, you know, getting ready, and I, I, was, I usually listen to something, and, um, and I was getting ready to listen to something, and then the Lord was just like, hey, you know what, you should, you should listen to the Bible. I was like, you're right, you know. Uh, I really should listen to the Bible, and that's what I did. You know what, it just, it restores my soul. And, and it's, 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 it's intentionally taking time and saying, okay, Lord, this is yours. It's just like, just like we tithe our money um, and, and we honor the Lord with our, with our material resources. We should be doing that with our time as well. It's important as far as keeping our hearts focused on Him. The third one is regularly attending church gatherings so you can be a blessing to others. And I, I, I intentionally said so you can be a blessing to others because that's really important. A lot of people think church is about what they can get out of it, and that is not what church was ever designed to be. The church is when the body gathers so we can share our spiritual gifts with one another. And can I say this, that, it, that you, you and I are spiritual gifts to each other. The fact that we're family. The fact that we're family in Christ. And church is family, right? It's family. That's why even the structure of the church with eldership, sort of feel, feeling like a fatherly role in the church, and then and, and, and there's, there's just this family atmosphere in the church. It's supposed to be that way. And God has gifted us, each, every believer, you have spiritual gifts. You have some way God has designed for you to bless the church. And not only does your gift bless the church, but your gift prepares the church to do the work of ministry throughout the week. You realize that the work of ministry, this is not the ministry here. This is the preparation for the ministry. When we leave this place and we go out into the world and we encounter people who don't know Christ, that's the ministry. The ministry of reconciliation, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, we go out into the world, we're ambassadors of Christ, and we're, we're appealing to them, be reconciled to God through His Son Jesus. That's our ministry. And here we come, we prepare for it. This is like the field house. And then we're going to go out and play the game, you know? Maybe I get to, I, I get to be the coach when I get up and I, and I give you these pep talks, you know? I'm like, but, but ultimately what it's about is God has gathered us so we could be scattered and we carry His grace with us. And we, can, we have the Holy Spirit who walks with us into every place we go and we diffuse the aroma of the grace of Jesus everywhere we go. That's what this is about. A fourth one is by actively seeking to lead people to Christ. I want to encourage us on this. Do you know that it's, it's, it's sad to me, but research today shows that very few believers ever lead someone to the Lord in their lifetime. I just, I, I don't think you have to be an evangelist to share Christ with somebody. I mean, an evangelist is someone who's especially gifted at evangelism, right? It's one of the fivefold gifts. But every Christian is charged with the task of evangelism. Just because you're not a quote-unquote evangelist, evangelist doesn't mean you aren't called by God to do the work of evangelism. 
We are all called by God to tell others about the goodness of Jesus. And by doing this, we make our lives about God's mission to reconcile and restore a broken world. We care about people, right? That's, that's a huge mark of a healthy church is that we care about people. We don't want to see people die in their sins and be separated from God for all of eternity. We don't want that to happen to people that we love, people that we're close to. Even the random dude in line at Walmart next to us, we don't want to see people die apart from Christ. We don't want that. Not when grace is available. Not when salvation is available for all people who will repent and believe in the gospel. Right? We don't want to see them die apart from Christ. And so we do our part. And, and, and I'm not saying you should hand every, every person you meet a four spiritual laws track and try to have a conversation with them or anything like that. But what I am saying is I would encourage all of us to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you, hey, this is going to be uncomfortable, but I really want you to go talk to that person right now. And you'll hear it. You'll, you'll know it's the Spirit prompting you, cause, and you'll probably fight it, because everything in you is like, that's awkward. Um, they're going to think I'm weird, and that's all. That's great. By the way, when people think you're weird, that's, that's okay. <laughs> um, Jesus even said, if you follow me, people are going to, they might not like you. <laughs> so, uh, but, but we want to obey him. And I just believe that God is good. I believe that God is, I believe he's so good that if I talk to 10 people, one of them might give their life to the Lord, two of them, three of them, maybe all of them. But I, I believe God is doing a work of reconciliation in this world. And so if I join him in that work, then I'm gonna see some cool stuff happen. So I would encourage us, that's, that's, that's one way that we store up treasure in heaven. I remember one of my pastors growing up used to say, you won't be able to take your car. You won't be able to take your house. You won't be able to take any of your material wealth, your 401k, anything like that into heaven, but you will be able to see the faces of every person that you've led to the Lord. That's cool. That would be really cool. And a, and a fifth idea is um, living simply. And, and this is going to mean something different for different people, but... Um, but by living well within our means and rejecting extravagance, we refuse to make life about the here and now. And we look forward to a better future in Christ. We're looking forward. Uh, one of the things I love, one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture is in the, in, in the, the Hebrews chapter that we call the Hall of Faith. Yes. And it talks about the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. And one of the things it says is they were looking forward to a city yes. whose Author and builder is the Lord. Yes. And, and you know what? This, that's really what I'm talking about by living simply, is living in such a way where we aren't looking for what we have now to be our, our, sustain, our sustaining thing. We're looking forward to what God is going to do. The city that he's building, to the new Jerusalem, uh, and, and to being in his presence I know we've said this already before. You know, there are people when they talk about heaven, the first thing they talk about is the mansions and all that. Man, I, that, that to me, it's not, that's not great. I want to talk about being in his presence. The Lord is my reward. I want to be with him. And if he gives me a mansion, cool. But, the, but what makes heaven great is not that there's mansions and streets of gold. You know, I think the reason why we're told there's streets of gold is because uh, gold seems like such a valuable thing here, and God's like, you're going to walk on it in my place. 
That's not what's important there. Gate, pearly gates, pearls seem so expensive and extravagant here. And God's like, I just build a fence out of it. No big deal. Because you know what's valuable in heaven? Is the presence of God. That's what's valuable in heaven. And that's why it's going to be cool to be there. The main thing that I think Jesus wants us to see here is that if our treasure is corruptible, then our hearts are going to be with that which is corruptible rather than that with that which is incorruptible. If we're enslaved to worldly things, our hearts cannot go after God. Jesus came to free us from all of that so that we can live with the same sort of freedom and abandon that he lived with. He was focused on obedience to the Father. And he wants us to be able to be focused on that as well. So a a second thought here is that Jesus frees us from slavery to things so our minds can focus on God. So here in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I want to read a quote from the Life Application Bible Commentary. I just thought this was really good. They said, Proper spiritual vision requires us to see clearly what God wants us to do and to see the world from His point of view. And that was basically what I was alluding to at the very beginning when we talked about that movie and how uh, in the movie, you know, Neo starts to see the program for what it really is. So he, now he can dodge bullets because he's able to slow the program down and manipulate it. He understands that he is no longer a part of that program. He's a part of a new reality. Christian, can I say right now, you are a part of a new reality in Christ. So we don't have to play by the the rules of the world any longer. God made you to become like Jesus instead of to become like the world. So let's talk about a good eye versus a bad eye. This is obviously a spiritual uh, spiritual, um, illusion. He's alluding to something spiritual but using something physical. We understand this. If, If my eye is good, I can see. If my eye is bad, then I can't see. And that's a bummer. Adam's spiritual eye became obsessed with something he wanted to possess in this world, and it utterly corrupted his soul. Do you understand that? Adam and Eve in the garden, they saw the fruit. It looked good to them. They lusted after it. The fruit and what it could give Adam became his treasure. And because Adam went after that treasure, every subsequent generation of human beings from that point on, has been after the same sort of treasure. It takes different forms. It's not always a piece of fruit. Sometimes it's a lust after being accepted and having a relationship. Sometimes it's a lust after, you know, having a, a big house and an opulent lifestyle. Sometimes it's a lusting after a Lamborghini Aventador. Car, car guys unite, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> they're cool, but I don't. They cost more than I make a year in maintenance, so I'm good. <laughs> but uh, but you, you know what I mean? Like, there are different things, depending on who you are, that maybe is the treasure that you lust after, just like Adam and Eve lusted after that fruit. But if we make those things our treasure, 
They're going to ruin us every time. It wasn't so much the act of eating the fruit that corrupted Adam. It was that his heart desired it above everything else, and it became all-consuming in his heart. He didn't care about God anymore. He didn't really care about his wife anymore either. How do I know that? Because as soon as God came to Adam and said, what'd you do? He said, the woman, <laughs> that woman did it. <laughs> She's a Delilah. <laughs> the first one. She was the first Delilah. Anyway, no, but uh, y- you know what I mean? Like, like he just, he blamed his wife. He didn't even protect her. He just threw her under the bus. And God came back to Adam and be like, hey, it was your responsibility. I put you in charge of this deal. And so when we talk about the garden in the Bible, we don't blame Eve, we blame Adam. Because it was Adam's responsibility, ultimately, to shepherd his wife. He didn't do it, he was passive. And then he blamed her. He was corrupted by his lust and passions. Now Jesus, for his part, he refused to get caught up in the pattern of Adam. Now, let's think about Jesus and his life for a minute here. He could have been born in a palace, but he chose a barn. You think Jesus couldn't have orchestrated to be born into Herod's family instead of to Mary and Joseph? The God of the universe who spoke all things into existence? He didn't have to be born in a barn. He could have chosen something better, but he, he knew that rejecting that was part of the path. He could have had it all. You remember... When the devil tempted him in the desert and he took him up on the temple, he showed him everything. He said, I'm going to give all this to you if you'll just worship me. He could have had it all. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people I know that if the devil took him up on a big building and said, you can have the whole city, they'd be like, all right, where do I sign up? And Jesus, and, and by the way, that's how a lot of people live. You see, the devil gives him a little picture. says, hey, I'll give you all this if you'll just sell out to me. You'll just sell out to your job and to your money and possessions and whatever it is. I'll give that to you. And they're more than happy to say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Jesus could have had it all, but he chose a minimalistic life. Isn't that amazing? He chose that minimalistic life where his, one of his 12 closest friends was even, he, he put in charge of the money who was the guy who eventually betrayed him and stole from him, and Jesus never really complained about it ever. He just lived, he didn't, it didn't matter to him. The money thing didn't phase him. He could have been renowned time and again. People wanted to shout his name from the mountaintops, and Jesus said, shh, don't tell anybody that I'm the one who did this to you. Go to the temple and give God the glory. Eventually, he became well-known, but it was because the Father elevated him. It wasn't because Jesus took it for himself. He could have been renowned, but he chose to remain anonymous. He could have forcibly taken the kingship. Remember, they wanted to make him king. All the people, they were like, oh, man, after he fed the 5,000 and all, all those things happened, they were like, oh, man, this guy is the Messiah. It's time to go. Where's David's crown? Somebody go find it. We got our king. And Jesus slipped away. He wouldn't let it happen. He could have forcibly taken the kingship, but he chose the cross. You see how different Jesus is than our first father, Adam? 
Jesus was much freer than Adam because he chose to keep his eyes on the Father. He never became enslaved to this world. He lived within it without being overcome by it or assimilated into it. He lived with this otherworldly mentality even while he was 100% man. The Bible teaches us Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. The only being who's ever lived to have a 200% nature. And yet the entire time he was in this world as a man he was unscathed by it it's pretty amazing his focus was eternal and because of that he was free from slavery to the moment so, so the difference between people of darkness and people of light, people of darkness are focused on the world rather than on God. And because of that focus, they're in bondage to this world. They think, boy, i got to get what I can before I get out of here. Then it's no surprise when people who lack eternal vision end up running or end up ruining even the short lives that they have. How many great and mighty people in the eyes of the world have crashed and burned at the end? So very many. And even the ones who finish relatively well, they die and it's all gone. Boom, up in a puff of smoke. Everything they built. They think all they have is the moment and so they live that fast and hard life and they lose everything by doing it. Now people of light, on the other hand, are focused on God rather than on the world. And you don't need a bucket list when you know that you have eternity in front of you. You know what I mean? You just don't. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy the life that God has given us. We should enjoy the life God has given us. Christians, we should be the most joy-filled people that there are. We can enjoy this life with no strings attached. You know, we, you know if, if we die young, oh well, we're going to be with Jesus. Take that, Carrie Underwood. You know what I mean? Uh, She's the one who sang that song, and she, I don't know, maybe it wasn't her. Who, who sang the I Die Young song? I'm not a country person. Anyway, whatever. Uh, there's a country person out there screaming at me probably right now, like, telling me who it is. I don't, I, I listen to rock, sorry. <laughs> but uh, it's true, I mean, you know, I got Huey Lewis in the news in my, uh, <laughs> in my CD player, so. <laughs> People of light are focused on God rather than the world. Right? We're focused on God rather than the world. So because of that, we can live with steadiness. We can live with confidence. And we can live with patience because we know our future is tied up with Christ. And Christ is forever. Christ is eternal. If my future is tied up with the eternal one, I'm in good shape, y'all. So we, we have peace because of that. Third thought and the final one is that Jesus frees us from slavery to things so that we can do what God made us to do. This is really important because um, it's not just about having the mentality. We want to have the mentality. We want to have the peace. So we want to have our identity set in Christ and not in the world. We want to have our, uh, our, our hearts focused on Him. We want to have our, just our, enti- our minds, our entire existence focused on Him. 
but then we want to actually do the stuff God would do if he were us, right? So um, th- there's this example that I have of what not to do, and, and I don't, I'm not intentionally trying to pick on anybody, but um, it's just, I saw this documentary a while back about this Buddhist monk in Tibet who had, like, meditated until he died, basically, and they've preserved this guy's body. He's mummified. Um, some think that he's still alive and just in this weird <laughs> meditative state. It's, it's a really creepy story, actually, but, uh, <laughs> but they got, because they just have this dude's body hanging out, and I'm just, I don't know. Um, in America, we arrest people for that, you know, um, but, but, this, but he's like celebrated as this hero because he just like meditated. He just sat there still until he just died. And I guess they think he just, you know, became one with the force or something like that. Um, and, uh, and it's really sad to me because I think about this guy and his dedication to his religion and his dedication to, tr- you know, I mean, he was trying to be the best person he could be. And, uh, and his, in his mind, following after his religion meant that he just did nothing. Now, Christian, look, Christianity is entirely different than that. Because what God wants from you and me is for us to be like his son Jesus. And Jesus was actively bringing the kingdom. Okay? That's why this is important. Look, our, our religion, Christians, is not a religion of passivity. See, we're not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back and take us to heaven someday. If that's your Christianity, you are missing out big time. Here's what our Christianity looks like. Christ came to save sinners. We are the result of that ministry. And then, once we have been redeemed, we are now empowered to join him in that ministry. So, he's frees us from slavery to things so that we can do what God intended for us to do, and that is to join him in ruling and reigning over this planet and over the universe. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he had a really specific mission for them, and that mission was for them to be priests, to represent him to the universe. Eden was a, was a temple. And they were serving in the temple. They were working with God. They, you know, understand every day when they went out to cultivate in the garden, they were working with God. They were, work, they were hand in hand alongside the Father doing his work in the world. And Jesus, when he gave the great commission to the disciples, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you to do. And he says, and... and by the way, this is, this is my paraphrase, and by the way, I'm going to go with you. That's a cool statement. I love that. I love the I will be with you always statement of Jesus. But what he did for us is he said, in the beginning, my father set the first people here to cultivate a garden and to multiply, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's what the Lord said to Adam and Eve. And they, they failed pretty miserably. <laughs> it didn't go very well. But what Jesus is saying for us, he's saying, I'm, I've redeemed that for you. So now you can join the Father once again in his mission 
to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so now what we're doing is we're continuing the work of God in the world by joining Jesus on his mission to bring as many people to him as possible so that we can do what God designed Adam and Eve to do in the first place and they failed to do, and now we get to do it in Christ. It's what we were created for. And so we are most satisfied when we are walking in the things that God designed us to do in the very first place. That's why everyone in this world is restless apart from Christ. And only when we find our, our, our hearts in Christ and we find our purpose in Him, we can actually be who God created us to be and we can be at rest and at peace in Christ. We were made to do what Jesus would do if he were us instead of doing what Adam would do if he were us. Jesus saved us so that we could get back to what we were originally designed to be. And here's the thing. When we're serving anything besides God, we are out of sync with true reality and we're out of sync with the very heart of what we were created to be and to do. We are human beings after all. We're designed to be and to do things. We are. So I want to I want to close with just a few questions. These are maybe some things to write down to uh, I maybe should have printed this cuz <laughs> but anyway, I'll hey, I'll tell you what, I'll make a Facebook post uh, and I'll put it out there. <laughs> so uh um, or you can come and ask me for my notes and, and you can write it down if you want. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just run through these real quick. Uh, first, I, I want to encourage us this week to take some time to really consider what you treasure most in life. And ask yourself the question, is it Christ? If not, how is God leading you to actively practice repentance and belief in this area? Repentance and belief in the gospel, it's something that we have to regularly practice because we forget. The second thing, I'm going to ask the question, what, what do you focus on most throughout a typical day? And how can you expand your active focus upon God over the next few days? How can you expand that? How can you think about God more? I think we can all do that in some way. The third thing is, what is one way you can intentionally practice serving God during this coming week? How can you join Jesus on his mission? It doesn't have to be something huge be something seemingly small. As small as praying for your neighbor. Seeking someone out who you know is hurting and, and telling them, hey, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. He wants to restore you. Like, it can be something real, real simple. But let's all do something. God has given us many gifts. In this room, many gifts are represented. But I want to encourage us not to waste our gifts by using them for purposes that are less than building God's kingdom on earth. We talked about the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, Jesus prayed. And we are his fulfillment of that prayer, his kingdom coming through us to a broken world. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and it's possible because Christ died on the cross for you and enabled you to become the person that you are today in him. Um, so let's go and do it. Amen. Can we... Right? Let's do it this week. Let's go out and let's do the work of Jesus. Let's be the people he created us to be. We are free in him from slavery to this world. So we're free to serve God. And I think that's really cool.
Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.